Hi, I'm Kristen, and this is the Simple Handmade Everyday Podcast, where I talk about living a creative, intentional life. I like to chat about quilting, knitting, what I'm reading and watching, and even a little bit about keeping a cozy, organized home. You can find me online at my blog, Simple Handmade Every Day, which is actually at kristenesser.com, and on Instagram, where I'm pretty active, at Kristen Esser. I've got my cup of tea in hand, so let's settle in for a chat. Welcome to episode two. Thanks for tuning back in if you happen to listen to episode one, and welcome to anybody new to the podcast. First of all, let me just say how nice everybody was about that first podcast. Um, Everybody was very welcoming and encouraging. I just really appreciate the the positive feedback that, um, that everybody was so gracious to give. I've got my cup of tea right here which, um, you know, I made some jokes about nobody actually sits down and shares a cup of tea with me while they're listening. And some people listening said, I actually am going to sit down and do some knitting or some handwork with a cup of tea while I listen to you. So welcome. We can have a cup of tea together. I'm kind of into tea. I'm into my coffee and tea. And um, what I have today is Harney and Sons Earl Grey. I'm, I'm into all kinds of tea. And I am not opposed to using tea bags, but I have a true and abiding love for loose leaf tea. And Harney and Sons, I feel like, is this very affordable version of loose leaf tea that you can just get on Amazon. I think I kind of started with loose leaf tea with Tivana, which will just bankrupt you in five minutes. But um, so Harney and Sons is really good. I do use this great contraption. What's it called? The Perfect Tea Maker, I think it's called, and um, I'll put a link in the show notes. And but it's this this little thing. It looks like a little bit like a teacup, and you put in enough tea, loose leaf tea, for like one cup of tea, and then fill it with your boiling water, and you just let it steep there for I usually go three minutes, and then you take it and you sit it on top of your cup of tea. And it pushes this little thing in, and then the tea just comes down the bottom. <laughs> I joke that it's peeing into my teacup. And then the, then the, the little perfect tea maker is uh, just left with just some wet tea leaves. And the thing about loose leaf tea is if you buy a decent quality of tea, then you can use it more than once. So then it doesn't become such an extravagance. So I will, you know, make a cup in the morning, like right now. And then in a few hours, I will go boil some more water and, and use those same tea leaves again. And it just is so easy because it's just sitting right there. And then I can just plop it on top of my teacup. So that's my, um, my favorite way to make, to make loose leaf tea is with this little, little tea maker. Let's get right into what's on my sewing table. Sadly, I have not been doing any piecing lately, and I really miss it. I really consider myself a piecer more than a machine quilter, so to speak. I love making quilt tops. I am trying so hard to love the quilting part of the process, and I've done several blog hops. I meant to tell you about one last week that's going on right now. So it's been kind of like my thing to take a book on free motion quilting I've done the ultimate guide to machine quilting written by Krista Watson and Angela Walters and then peace and quilt by Krista Watson and now free motion meandering by Angela Walters so I take these books and I work my way through them actually just going lesson by lesson and building up my free motion skills and so I'm on my third one with this one with Angela Walters 
And I'm really loving this book. It was a little different than I expected it to be. It's very much, I want to say it's very much a book for beginners. I think it even says that it's for beginners because it starts right at the beginning, like with how to baste and then how to meander, which is, you know, the simplest of free motion skills. And, but it ramps up. There are, I want to say there's two each week. There's eight, eight motifs in the book. So... Vicky from um, My Creative Corner 3 and Jen from Quilt and Jenny and I have been doing this, working through it together. And so each week for February, we're tackling two motifs. So the first week, and you can go back, I'll link them to them in the show notes, but the first week was just a meander and a loopy meander, which I like a lot better than just a plain meander, to be honest with you. So that was really, really easy. I've done them both kind of a million times. The second week... Is swirls and swirls are like swirls and pebbles are my free motion nemesis. <laughs> so I worked on those, and my my goal is to practice at least fifteen minutes a day throughout the week, and then I kind of photograph the best of it at the end for the for the blog post. And um, I don't always get the the fifteen minutes in a day is you know life, but you know it just does, seems like no amount of practice is really improving my <laughs> swirls that much. But then they there's another motif called swirl hooks that used to blow my mind, but it's like one of those things that once it clicked, I love them because they're not as swirly as swirls. So that was week two. You can go check out the progress there. Last week was just paisleys and leafy meanders. Oh, I should mention this whole book with Angela Walters is about meander. So it's not so much about these little motifs to do custom quilting, you know, to take blocks and do them all differently, which I, I, you know, never say never, but that level of quilting is not that interesting to me because I don't like quilting as much. (laughs) So I want a really cute design that I can do edge to edge all over and then just, you know, move on because usually my quilts, because I like to piece are more about the blocks. And so then the quilting just needs to add texture and it doesn't need to be highlighted. So anyways, so uh, Paisley's and Leafy Meanders were this week, and that was fine. I really enjoyed those. But the last week is like she really steps it up a level to what are called feather swirls and improv quilting. So I'm practicing those now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's it's rough, let me tell you. So I'm practicing a ton on paper. Um you know, she, she does a lot. What's really good about these books is they give you this very visual step-by-step guide through how each design is formed and how to make it meander, how to make it build. It's very graphic. And I love that in quilting books. I think there's too many books that go, here is, here is the end result. Here's this cute, um, you know, like bag or something. Here's the, the end result. And here are 30 steps all in text of how to do that. And that's, I, you know, I have a little bit of a hard time translating that text into a visual. So I like, you know, the picture is worth a thousand words is, is my, is my motto. And when Minky and I did So Illustrated, we fought very hard to maximize the number of pictures. We went to the absolute maximum number of pictures they would let us have in that book. You know, when you have things like installing a zipper, you know, you really, the the pictures really help. So anyways, I practiced a lot on paper. At one point, I actually, I have an iPad mini and I blew up her little drawing of the design and I put a piece of paper over it. I put the the uh, the light on my iPad as high as it would go. I put a piece of paper over it, and I just traced 
her version over and over because I have this problem with my feathers looking more like petals because I have that little bit of trouble getting that half heart shape about when I kind of bring it back in I don't know it's just it's not that good and so it just needs a lot of practice and then from there she builds onto improv quilting which is you know putting all of these together and what's kind of cool about that is she really gives you this um, way to think about it so you don't just look at this blank piece of fabric and like sort of not know where to start she tells you where to start and how to think about it and how to fill it and stuff so it's really an excellent book and I've always been a little curious about this whole improv or graffiti quilting and not really sure I would ever feel confident enough to do it and you know the jury's out on that a little bit right now <laughs> to be honest with you but I'm having some fun practicing and I'm having a little trouble squeezing in my practice time because we've been out of town and my oldest son Jonah uh, is was part of a California all-state jazz band last week and so we drove him up to Northern California and dropped him off for rehearsals happened to be our anniversary weekend so my husband and I headed up to Napa Valley for a couple of days and I've lived in California my whole life and we have a closer wine country um, called uh, Paso Robles pretty close to us the San Ynez area we've been there lots of times but never all the way up to Napa so we you know went up there for a couple of days and did the whole wine country thing and it was great and the weather was beautiful and they get a little more rain up there than we do here in Southern California so things were nice and green and it was it was really wonderful and then we headed back down to uh, San Jose and um, listened to Jonah's jazz band performance and that was amazing and we were fortunate enough that my daughter was able to come up from college take the train home and stay with um, her brother Ben so that we didn't really have to worry about about that side of things so it was all wonderful but it took a big chunk of my days that I might be practicing my quilting <laughs> out of the out of the equation but that's all fine so I kind of hunkered down when we got back and, and did some practicing and I'm going to continue that this week but it's also kind of a short week because QuiltCon is this week and again I'm so excited about QuiltCon but it's you know taking out like three days out of my schedule here so I'm you know frantically trying to, to get these motifs down I think I talked about uh, QuiltCon last episode but let me just reiterate that um, Minky Kim and I are doing a book signing in the CNT booth on Saturday at three o'clock I'm slightly terrified that no one will be there <laughs> we will just sit there I was very scared about this I went to quilt market a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago when that book first launched and I did a little schoolhouse presentation and a um, book signing and demo in the CNT booth and I was so afraid nobody would come but at quilt market they actually give away books so there were people waiting which was like kind of amazing to me and I was so sad Minky couldn't come on that trip but it was just so encouraging that people were actually there but at quilt con people either have to buy a book there or bring a book so if you're going to quilt con and you have a copy of so illustrated or you want a copy it'll be on sale in the booth and we would really love not to sit there without anything to do for an hour on Saturday so feel free to stop by um, also, I'm really looking forward to seeing some people. Holly Ann from String and Story is coming out and doing her thing. Um, she's doing some 
quilting demonstrations in the daylight booth and working in the Michael Miller booth. And if you've followed Holly Ann on social media, she's doing these great intro to quilting classes and she's just got a lot of great content to offer. So you should check her out. But I'm really looking forward to meeting up with her in real life. We text and we talk on in that way on almost a daily basis, but we've never actually met up in real life. So I'm very, very excited about that. Next episode, I will do a little catch up on how it was at QuiltCon and, you know, I'll keep my eyes open for the, the trends that I see. I, you can just walk for days in those exhibits. It's just, it's like going to an art show more than a quilt show, I feel. And I'm just really excited about being inspired and seeing what people are doing and uh, how it might influence my own quilting. I'm definitely more interested in using solids. I've always been a Prince girl. I just, you know, I like fabric designers and following them and, you know, looking at what's new and coming out. But there's a big part of me that's really interested in just kind of doubling down on design and just using solids and value and contrast to, to bring a quilt design to life. And so that's something I kind of want to, to focus on this year. And so a really good place to get inspired for things like that is definitely at QuiltCon. So I'm really looking forward to just walking the quilt show part multiple times. And now that I'm just about done with my free motion quilting blog hop, I'm really looking forward to getting back to sewing. And over the holidays, I cleaned up my sewing room, which is also known as the dining room. And so when the holidays were coming down and we used that area to eat our fancy Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. I really did kind of a deep clean and a bit of a reorganization. And I ended up pulling out and putting into separate bins all of my unfinished quilts, of which I would have told you I had like three or four. Well, I was a little shocked to find out that I have more like 15 or 20. <laughs> I had really, I had no idea. And a lot of them are very small and some of them are just kind of you know, leftover blocks or orphan blocks. I have this idea that I want to make a mini. So, you know, that doesn't count so much. I, you know, I've got a bunch of sort of half-finished coasters and, and things like that, but I actually have some legit partially done quilts. And one of them is a quilt kit that I bought four plus years ago on a vacation to Maui. And I went to the Maui quilt shop and I really wanted like a souvenir quilt. And so I got this one and it's um, pineapples. It's just, it's a block with pineapples. And what I didn't know, I was a pretty newish quilter. What I didn't know then is that I don't love applique. And so I I've pieced all the pineapples and they're done in batiks. It's really cute. But then you each, the top of each pineapple has a bunch of um, pineapple leaves and different shades of green. And my first issue with that is that there was a period of time that they stopped production on Steamaseam, which I find is the best fusible web. And I don't know why, but they stopped production and I used several other types and I could just never peel it off. I just found it so frustrating. So I just put the whole thing away. Well, eventually Steamaseam came back and I have plenty of it now, but I just have a hard time um, really building myself up to do that. But frankly, since... I did the book with Mickey, so illustrated, which let's be honest, is really a raw edge applique book. I realized I could do it more raw edge applique. They do it, you know, in the pattern, they do it with blanket stitch 
and that I don't know I don't I just don't I don't love it but I've gotten pretty good with the you know just more of a raw edge applique type deal and so that is hopeful so I'm thinking about busting that out I really want to work through some of these um, you know unfinished quilts this year and you know really make use of the materials that I have so I really should set some sort of a goal of just doing a block a week or something and I don't know how many blocks there are there's probably 20 24 blocks that's what I need to do is I just I really want to finish that quilt and my husband he gets on me every once in a while about how's that Maui quilt and it will be great once it's done and it'll be this reminder of a great vacation so and I also have a couple baby quilts that I did when I had this idea that I was going to open an Etsy shop and sell baby quilts until I found out that I would basically have to work for nothing to do that and I couldn't afford that. But I've got a few that just uh, need to be quilted and you know both Krista and Angela, Krista Watson, Angela Walters would tell you that to stop using practice pieces when you are learning quilting and there's nothing like doing it on a real quilt and I am so guilty of not doing that. I am terrified of ruining the piecing job that I did but I've got these baby quilts that you know I'm pretty sure nobody would really care if they were imperfectly quilted and so I really need to bust those out and practice my free motion on on a real quilt so let's talk a little bit now about what's on my needles knitting wise and uh, I worry about this podcast talking about my progress on projects because sometimes I feel like I'm just so slow I don't have much to say I'm still working on my Hermione's Everyday Socks and loving them very, very much. I finished the first one, which I was working on during my last podcast, and was so infatuated with sock knitting all over again. It's like I rediscovered, oh my gosh, I love to knit socks. And that one sock went fairly flawlessly. And then I started sock two, and things went a little downhill from there. I cast that sock on I think six times and it's just things kept going wrong and I even ripped it back and successfully got all 64 stitches back on the needle or so I thought and then I counted them and there were only 62 and I kept looking for where I dropped stitches and they were nowhere to be found so at that point I just clipped the thread. I weighed my first sock to see how many uh, grams it was and I weighed my ball of yarn to see if I could afford to just clip it off and I could. So I just clipped it off and started again. And where I finally got some traction on it is when we went on this little uh, mini vacation up to Northern California and I did a whole lot of car knitting and I finally got that thing cast on and over the course of many, many hours in the car did the cuff and the leg and the heel flap and it all went pretty smoothly. So I was just so happy to sort of be over the hump on that. And then last night I sat down while watching the Olympics to turn the heel and do, you know, what I think is the more complicated part of sock knitting, which is to turn the heel and then pick up stitches and, and then get going down the foot. And so turning the heel went fine. I mean, once I could just read the instructions on the setup rows, then I can just, you know, there's visual clues of what to do. That went fine and then I picked up stitches and I started going down the foot and then I realized that I just had this big hole in one side and it just it didn't look right and I kept looking at it. I kept going around the sock and looking at it like can I live with this and maybe I can just go in afterwards and sort of um, sew that hole closed and then at some point I was just like no no you know this is gonna drive you crazy 
So after about an hour and a half of sock knitting, I just ripped it all back. <laughs> <laughs> basically to the point of where I sat down that night, which is, you know, through the gusset and took my carefully crafted heel out and right back to the heel flap. I don't know why, but this is exactly why I fall out of love with, with knitting sometimes is, you know, when you make mistakes, it's just so easy to just kind of throw it in a bag in the back of your closet and forget about it. I heard a quote once, someone said, you're not a good knitter if you're not a good ripper. And I think that's really true. It's you... Everybody makes mistakes and you need to learn how to fix them. What I need to do is learn how to fix my knitting mistakes without always ripping back. And I even downloaded a craftsy class about how to fix knitting mistakes. And I need to rewatch that, I think. I can't remember if it was a paid class. It might have been a free one. But yeah, you know, when you find out uh, eight inches back that you've made a mistake, it's really nice if you know how to unravel and go back down and fixing that without ripping back. And that's a, a skill that I need to, to learn. Um, while we were in Napa, I actually stopped by an adorable little shop in Napa called Yarn on First. It was on First Street. And it was super cute. And I bought some souvenir yarn. And right as I was walking out, I saw yarn I liked even better and I was tempted to go back, but I didn't. So I'll take a picture of it. It, I had her cake it up because I don't have a Swift and a, 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 whatever they're called, a ball winder. And so it's, I always think that cakes aren't as cute as skeins or frankly even balls, but they are handy. And so it's some sock yarn and it's in these very muted colors and I'm just sort of really embracing the fact that I am a soft colors, neutrals kind of girl, and I'm just not into all the crazy colors that a lot of knitters are. So it's, it's very pretty. It's going to be, I think, self-striping, and um, the yarn manufacturer was, I'll put it in the show notes, but it was Chloe and something, which made, that's my daughter's name, so it made me like, like it even more. So I've already got my next sock uh, yarn ready to go. I have basically no yarn stash, so that's kind of exciting for me. I have not made progress on any of the, the knits that I want to make for my daughter before she goes to Norway, but I did buy the yarn for the Selbu mittens. Um, Chloe, when she was home this weekend, picked out a kind of a dark red and off-white, um, so I think that'll make a very cute combo with lots of contrast. So that's color work knitting, and I'm a little nervous about that, but it's a small project and I'm, you know, kind of ready to, to get going on that. We tried to find some yarn for the void shawl and have not found what we were looking for. I was really hoping to find some Quince & Co. Lark. It was suggested for this, which is a worsted weight, very soft yarn. But I really wanted something tonal or heathered, not just one solid color. And they seem to be sold out of anything that fits that description of being tonal or heathered. And it was just all solid colors. And um, so we're just going to keep our eyes open for that. So that's kind of what's happening on the knitting front. And I hope that next week I'll have a little bit more to, uh, or next time, a little bit more to, to talk about there. I've been watching a ton of Olympics, as I'm sure that a lot of you have too. We actually don't have any sort of uh, satellite or cable. So we've we're patching together free trials of YouTube live TV and Hulu live TV so that we can watch the Olympics. I think it's going to come up a few days short, but I'm not a huge, huge, huge Olympic fans, but I kind of like having it on and, and while I'm knitting and, you know, just kind of being a part of the Olympics phenomenon. 
So that's mostly what we've been watching, but um, before that, I did a really good solid binge on Victoria. And I don't know if you're following this, it's a PBS masterpiece show, and season two came out, and we uh, donate to PBS, and so when you do that, you actually get access to the entire season all at once. So you don't have to wait for it to air, I guess, on every Sunday night or whenever they air a masterpiece where you are. And so I um, really enjoy, I love that show. I just enjoyed the thing. I watched the whole thing beginning to end. I would say that I like it better than The Crown, and I really like The Crown. It's so fun to get this glimpse inside the life of these monarchs. But Victoria, the the sets are so gorgeous. I feel like I read something, or maybe that was for The Crown, that I think it was The Crown, that the they've spent more than any other show on the on the sets for that. I'm pretty sure that one's The Crown, but I got to think that Victoria's up there too. Um, I don't know if you've watched that, but I just uh, love really kind of seeing the inside of, of uh, you know, you, you read it in history and I, every episode, just like The Crown, I, you know, had to Google to find out, is this really true? How much of this is really true? And time and time again, a lot of it's really true. A little bit of it is embellished, but not all that much. So I feel like I'm really getting a history lesson uh, in addition to my, you know, just guilty pleasure binge watching. So if you haven't watched Victoria, I highly recommend it. On the homemaking front, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about today. And I was thinking about like what's working in my home and what's not. And one thing that has kind of consistently worked over, how long have we been doing this? Seven years is this thing that we call Kids Cook Night. And this all started when my son Jonah became a Boy Scout and started going on overnight Boy Scout campouts. And the way their troop worked is they put the boys into these small, I'm sure there's a word for it, I don't think it's den, but let's just call them small groups. And they would together have to plan their meals and figure out their sleeping, their tent situation and all that. And so in Jonah's case, it was a group of like five fifth grade boys who need to feed themselves for like two to three days and cook dinner and things like that. And after the first camp out, which they probably did like hot dogs or something, I, I don't know. But he came home really talking about how the older boys are, they're making tri-tip and ribs, you know, I and mean, they're like really cooking. And I realized my kids don't really know how to cook. So we started this kids cook night to sort of build the skills so that when Jonah went on campouts, he actually knew how to cook. You know, we sort of fantasized, uh, my husband and I, when, when we that talked about having kids that, you know, we would have the kids in the kitchen with us and always helping with dinner. And I don't know, somehow that just didn't really ever pan out. It's like, if I could go back and kind of do that again, I would, I would do it differently. But you know, the kids are doing homework, they're at baseball practice or whatever. They're tired. You just want to get dinner on the table and you're just not really in the mood for doing a lot of uh, training. So it just, it just didn't happen. So we set aside one night a week, it's Sunday nights, that um, the kids have to make dinner. And the way we set it up is that each week is one kid's kids cook night and the other kids 
are like the uh, the sous chefs. They're their assistants. So some one of them has to come up with the menu, and they kind of usually make the the main thing. And then they t- say, "Well, you make the salad, and you make the garlic bread, and and um, you make the dessert, or whatever." So they they do it that way. And um, I thought this like at the beginning, I thought, "Oh, this is like so brilliant." And I wanted a lot of it. What I wanted them to know is just kind of the to have a few skills under their belt, a few dishes so that when they went away to college, they could make a few meals and know things like, what is the appropriate amount of olive oil to put in a pan when you're going to saute onions? What is an appropriate amount of salt and pepper or chili powder or whatever? Just, you know, those kind of basic cooking skills that you, as a person that's been cooking for 20 years, you don't even think about, but I now know that you can take none of this for granted. What I didn't really realize was how much help they were going to need early on. And, um, and I thought that they would pull out, they would, you know, family recipes. Um, they would ask questions about how to make their favorite meals or they would get online and get creative with it. None of this happened. None of this happened, but they do usually come up with something and it's, still seven years later requires, uh, some, some training. I I didn't have the right mindset that I was really going to have to not just go sit on the couch and let them cook dinner, but to, um, help them figure out time management. That's one of the biggest things that you forget if you've been cooking for a long time is that it's a skill to get everything on the table hot at the same time. And it's interesting to see the things that they go straight in for, you know, they're going to make pasta sauce with broccoli and they'll go cook the broccoli first. I'm like, no, that's kind of one of the last things you do. But, uh, anyways, now that we are many years into this, I am happy to report that Chloe is in an apartment at college and she can cook some of her own food. Now she will say that she just does a lot of microwaving because of time or whatever, but when she wants to make the pasta and meat sauce that she grew up with, she knows how to do that. You know, she definitely knows some of these recipes, even kind of knows them by heart a little bit. And Jonah often says things like, I want to make this because when I go to college, this is what I want to make. I think it's given them a lot of confidence in the kitchen. The only thing that has really gone wrong with the whole situation is that I had too high of expectations at the beginning, you know, if you know what I mean. I've kind of arranged my cooking schedules. I cook Monday through Friday. And my husband really likes to cook and when he comes home from work, he jumps right in the kitchen and he helps put dinner on the table, you know, a lot of nights, but he cooks very differently than me. He's, you know, uh, like a man, (laughs) he grills meat and cooks potatoes and, and a side vegetable kind of a thing. A lot of the time he does a lot. He also does a great shrimp risotto and he, he often gets way more creative than me. So he cooks every Saturday night. He actually makes homemade bread and he is amazing at it. I really like that we kind of eat differently than I cook on Saturdays and then the kids cook on Sundays. And so when I sit down to do my menu planning at the beginning of the week, I just have to come up with five dinners. And uh, so I really like that. I feel that that kind of has uh, taken a little bit of the drudgery of cooking out for me because I get two days off on the weekend. And uh, so that's kind of what's working for me right now. So that's it for this episode of the Simple Handmade Everyday Podcast. I would love to hear from you. I love to get comments. I love to hear what you guys are doing. Where are you sewing or knitting or what's working for you? in your everyday life, in your homemaking life. Just let me know and I will see you next time. Thanks again for joining me.